I'm joined now by Will Brown and Bob Wyckoff of Tweedy Brown, who join us today from Stamford in Connecticut. Will, Bob, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Now, Tweedy Brown is a new manager in terms of these recording. Perhaps we could start by asking you to remind us of your core investment philosophy. Well, the, the philosophy, while we may be the new ma- a new manager for you folks, it's really based upon an old idea, and if you boiled it down to its basics, it, it derives from what we consider Benjamin Graham's big idea, which most people still don't accept. That is, a share of stock is a fractional interest in a business. And if you accept that as your, as your predicate, then everything that you do derives from that. And it results in, if I had to explain in a simple sentence what we do, we're essentially in the business of appraising businesses. Graham's idea was that, again, share of stock's interest in a business. And there's two values for a business. There's the value that would accrue to you as a shareholder, if it were sold in an arm's length transaction to an informed buyer. And then there's the price in the stock market at any given moment in time, which can be reflective of all of the macroeconomic and behavioral forces which, and cross currents which factor into the stock market on a particular day, month, or year. And we all know that that can result in very overvalued and in some cases very undervalued securities. And what this process does is say, look at it as a business and try to appraise it. And businesses, just like homes or any other asset, have a value. And those values tend to fall into a fairly narrow range over many, many years. And a good benchmark, of course, is is transactions. So in essence, what we're doing is appraising a business. What we like about it is it's a fairly objective exercise. It's to a great degree, knowable, as opposed to trying to predict the market. And it also anchors you from a behavioral point of view and brings you back to some objective measures. So if you come up with a range for a value of a business, if you're then patient enough to wait for when that business, that interest in the business is being sold in a market at a substantial discount from its underlying value, you invest in it. And that's, in essence, what we do day in, day out, and we've done for the better part of 35 to 40 years. And, and one of the implications of that is, is it's a very long-term perspective. You're not trying to take value out of the short term. So these are long investment cycles that you're looking at. It is, and I think that, that it's, one of the interesting benefits of that is, and one of the, someone said, well, what, what edge do you have? Well, we have, we have a commitment to this process, and I think that the other, if you will, advantage that it has, the first I mentioned, was it, it anchors you in objective factors, but also it extends your time horizon. When we're looking at a business, we're saying to ourselves, how sustainable is that business? Where is that business likely to be in two or three or four years? Not on some kind of a quarterly basis. What's the capital structure? How well will they do if the world gets into a difficult situation again? Do they have the, the wherewithal, the resilience, the adaptability to get through a difficult time and prosper in better times? Sustainability, I think, is a good word to, to anchor on. And then look to how that is all valued in the marketplace. The result is, yes, it produces uh, as a, a residual a lower turnover curiously enough, as opposed to growth investors where you think the holding period would be much longer. In fact, the data is interesting because the holding period of growth investors is is quite short. Our average holding period, Bob, is five plus years. Yeah. 
I would just add that this long-term perspective also gives us, I believe, a competitive advantage. You know, with the volatility that we've seen in markets over the last five to ten years, decision-making, investment decision-making in our industry has become telescoped into shorter and shorter time frames. So there's a lot of competition for ideas that people believe will play out in the short term. If you're willing to take a longer-term perspective, which behaviorally is very, very difficult for most investors, it's a less competitive landscape. And sometimes we get pricing inefficiencies that you can't find if you had a shorter-term perspective. But the obvious implication of that, again, is, is that it requires incredible discipline and incredible patience. What, what are the characteristics that identify a successful Tweedy Brown manager? Well, I guess I said at the outset, when you come back to the, you, what always brings us back, and you know, this is a, a, you know, this is a difficult business. But one, you have to, if you will, control your own impulses. And the, if you read behavioral economics, you're, you, you realize very quickly there are so many irrational factors that come into people making decisions, uh, even in the investment business where we're supposedly the most numerate profession in the world. Just look at markets and you realize that's not the case. But if you have, and we've always said, if you have a process, if you have an objective approach, it anchors you, it pulls you back so that you can look at the price of a security on a particular day and it's, it's up or down or someone is saying the world's unwinding. You come back and you ask yourself, okay, what's going on in the business? Because behind every stock, there's a business. And you look at the business and say, what's going on there? It was very interesting. In, in 2008, with all of the difficulty that was going on, our stocks were slapped around pretty badly like others. We went back and actually looked at how the businesses did during that period of time. And with the exception of one or two, which sold what I call big-ticket consumer items, automobile sales, for instance, stopped for a period of time. And they stopped primarily because the financial markets wouldn't accommodate the financing of autos. But so many of the businesses that we own that, that make sort of simple consumer products every single day, those businesses went right on. They, people went in and they, they bought those products and the businesses did quite well. They didn't suffer very much and they certainly didn't suffer to the extent the stock market has. And that's what gives you the objectivity. You know, Buffett said it. He said, the nice thing about this is that it insulates you from all the corrosion going on out in the market every day. If you look at the data in the United States as a proxy for mutual fund returns, a very group in Canada did an interesting study, and Bob can elaborate on it. Uh, they looked at what the markets did for the 10-year period ending in 2008. That was the period they studied. And I think markets compounded, the U.S. market compounded at 10 or 11 percent. Mutual funds did nine or ten on average. The average investor in the mutual funds earned about a three percent return. How is that? Because they did, you know, the old adage, everybody does the wrong thing. They buy high and they sell low. And what this does is enable you to keep your wits about you. It's temperament and it helps you with your temperament and temperament is so important in this business. I would just add to what Will just said that the market, you, you heard Will talk about focusing on the business and the characteristics of the business. Because as the business goes over time, stock market prices should follow. And the market is there to serve you, the investor. 
It provides you an entry point when it's attractive to get in, and you can use it to get out if the stock market is pricing that security in a rationally high price. And if you realize that, you know, that your focus is the business, it insulates you from the corrosive effects of these behavioral irrationalities, as Will was saying, and you can take advantage of market prices from time to time. That's what we're trying to do. And we maintain (laughs) very strongly that ultimately what matters and will underpin the value of securities will be the profitability and the financial characteristics of the business. In the meantime, you'll find new theories about markets all the time. They come and they go. But ultimately, it's going to be, what does this produce in terms of a financial return? And the market gets that right. And that becomes, if you will, our benchmark for our, our decision-making and our activity. And presumably that, that also implies that there are going to be some parts, some sectors of the market and, and certainly some companies that you would typically like to have in the portfolio and, and, and avoid. Perhaps you'd give us an example of one of each of those. I think at a price you know, we're willing to consider most investments. We typically, for instance, don't invest in utility stocks because for the most part, they are regulated. Their returns are regulated. We'd rather not have our returns regulated. And you will, from time to time, particularly with value investors such as ourselves, you typically won't see a high technology component in the portfolio. And that has a lot to do with rapid rates of change in technology. Oftentimes, by the, by the time you know you have a business that has a sustainable competitive advantage, technology companies that have sustainable competitive advantages often grow at very, very fast rates. And stock prices follow that, and often the price of entry is extremely high. And when with rapid rates of change and high stock prices, it doesn't give us a comfort level. We want businesses that have sustainable business models that we can count on over long periods of time, and we need an entry point price that's very, very attractive. You don't get that often in technology stocks. And I should imagine dividends are something that is attractive, um, given what you've said about the, the way in which you invest. Yes, that's true. Dividends are an indicator often. A company that pays an above-average dividend, for instance, often that's an indication of undervaluation. Uh, You have a value effect going on sometimes in a high-dividend-paying security. Also, when a company has the free cash flow available to pay a dividend, the company has a lot of optionality. It can pay Sorry, what do, you mean by, what do you mean by optionality? What I mean is uh, because of the free cash flow that the company is generating, it has various opportunities. It can pay down debt. It can make new investments. It can pay a dividend. It can buy back its stock if the stock is cheap relative to the value of the business. And these are all things that if the capital allocation policy of the company is intelligently utilized, can benefit the investor over time. So companies that can pay a dividend, it's also an indication of of corporate health. You know, when they have to pay a cash dividend, you know it's not smoke and mirrors. They're, They're producing real cash. Also, it's, it's nice that, you know, the, the capital allocation record of corporations in general over long periods of time is sometimes not that impressive. So by actually giving back some money to the shareholder over time, sometimes you avoid value destruction in the business. So paying a dividend is a, 
is a, a, a thing that we're attractive, attracted to, but we also have to have an attractive entry point price getting into the business. We're, we're not interested in the dividend necessarily for the income. Income is simply a byproduct of our investment approach when we're investing in dividend securities. What we're really looking for is a very, very good business that can generate very, very attractive returns over time, and we're interested in a very, very attractive entry point price getting in. Gentlemen, it's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you talking to us today. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any views and opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals and are subject to change. Where individual securities are mentioned, they do not necessarily represent a specific portfolio holding and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase or sell. Please be aware that past performance is not indicative of future performance. The value of an investment may fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested. Returns on equities cannot be guaranteed. Equities do not provide the security of capital characteristic of a deposit with a bank or building society.